Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Breakfast special. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on The Breakfast Show with me, Ryan Huang. And this is a look at the presidential elections where Singapore decided on its ninth president. Mr. Taman Shamagratna won with a landslide victory over Mr. Ng Kok Song and Mr. Tan Kim Lian with an overwhelming 70.4% of the vote share. Yes, indeed, that was a strong mandate for the president-elect and a milestone in multicultural Singapore as he emerges as Singapore's first non-Chinese elected president. On his walkabouts over the weekend, Mr. Taman expressed surprise at the margin of his victory at Friday's polls, calling it a vote for an optimistic future and a vote for unity. Well, for more insights, we're joined by Lin Suling, opinion editor for The Straits Times. Good morning, Suling. Thanks for joining us on the show. Hi, Ryan. Great to be here. All right. A lot to unpack, but let's start things first with you know, Mr. Taman's performance. He didn't really get a free pass to his stand-up, which I suppose was what a lot of people hoped for. There was a contest. It was a three-corner fight this time. How much of a punch do you think uh, you describe the other two candidates as putting up in this contest? You see, Ryan, the thing is both candidates, both alternatives, Tan Kin Lian and Ng Kok Song, fought really hard. Now, the theme of independence came through very strongly and they both questioned whether Mr. Taman was going to be independent. We all know that this independence is really a proxy for impartiality. Can Mr. Taman discharge the duties as the custodian of reserves and the integrity of public service, acting in the best interest of Singaporeans and free from external influence? What did we see? We saw that Ng Kok Song asked whether those who set up the system can really question it. And mm-hmm. he asked whether Mr. Taman's decades of serving in the PAP government was a liability or a strength? Does it enable him to know the system inside and out like he said? No one can fool him or does it hamper his capability to be impartial? Now, we also saw Mr. Tan Kin Lian come out very strongly to say he's got independent thinking, he's in touch with ordinary citizens and he's going to convey their views to the government on job security and cost of living. But of course, the challenge was that these powers then fall outside the remit of the presidency because it has no executive power. Nevertheless, I think despite these sharp elbowed remarks, uh, the resounding victory of 70% definitely answers this question of whether Mr. Taman was independent or not. Yeah, 70.4% a landslide win, so so how much of a vote do you think came down to the person, Mr. Taman, and how much to the ruling party, which he's closely linked to? I think people often compare the presidential election to the general election. That would be a mistake here because after 30 years of the elected presidency, I think what we saw in this election is that Singaporeans are a lot more educated, a lot more aware of the role of the presidency. They chose the best person for the job. They chose the man who's most competent. And Mr. Taman's a very trusted face. We know that he's won by big margins in the general elections in the past. In Taman Jurong, he's incredibly popular and he comes across as a leader who's very competent and able to expand the mm. powers of the presidency. All so right. a lot of it was really Mr. Taman himself. So let's talk about the runner-up, Mr. Ng Kok Song. He eventually only managed to shore up 15.72% of the votes. We did see a very gracious speech coming through from him considering defeat after the sample vote. Now, what did he bring to the plate this time? And of course, you've got a piece out today. The headline, Ng Kok Song lost, but he did Singapore a favour running for president. Well, there are a couple of things here, um, Ryan. So without Mr. Ng Kok Song, the presidential election could very well turn into a two-horse race between Mr. Taman, Mr. Tan Kin Lian, and you would have this turn into a referendum on the PAP. That would be very unfortunate because ultimately, voting for the president is a very different race altogether. Um, we saw Mr. Tan Kin Lian being backed by a whole slew of 
political party opposition members, including Tan Cheng Bok, Tan Ji Se. And then, of course, towards the end, the last few days, we saw more opposition leaders throw their support behind Mr. Tan Kin Lian. But Ng Kok Song ran a different kind of campaign. He pushed us to think about the importance of the role and the importance of qualified and patriotic men and women stepping forward. People who do not necessarily have links to any political party, whether it's the ruling PAP or the opposition parties. He encouraged us to think about the possibility of doing that and being able to win even without any backing at all. Now, of course, he came in at a much uh, lower margin, but I think it's significant that he was a relative unknown from the get-go and that he was able to secure that amount, 16%, very significant. Yeah, talking about encourage, he did say one of his goals was to encourage more Singaporeans to step up in future elections. Do you think he achieved that? I think the fact that he kept his deposit was a good sign. Um, And ultimately, Singaporeans who want to step forward had to decide for themselves how are they going to deal with this new social media environment? Are they able to deal with toxic comments that come about? Are they able to handle the scrutiny? I think that's a question that we'll see in the next general election. Yeah, talking about social media, Ng Kok Son, he decided to go big there. Shunning away from the usual posters and billboards, did that backfire for him, you think? So the challenge is that he comes from a place of being unknown. Um, He needed to build some brand awareness. One could argue that social media allowed him to have a huge amount of reach. He was um, very, very active. He ran the most aggressive social media campaign Mm. on TikTok, Instagram, and and he had a lot of social media influencers also come interview him. He was quite a spectacle. But the challenge is, as Carol Soon and Beverly Tan, two IPS, Institute of Policy Studies researchers, point out in an opinion piece, both the Straits Times today, reach does not mean resonance and having a huge number of views does not necessarily translate into votes. Why is that the case? That's because Singapore has a system where voting is compulsory and so the challenge is not mobilisation. The challenge is not getting people out to vote for you because people have no choice. They have to come out to vote but it's about conversion. Can you talk to somebody and really change their minds, get them to vote for you, win their hearts and minds over? Mm, Talk about social media, how would you compare this year versus what we saw in previous elections, the use of social media, how much did that play into the voters' choice and also alternative media platforms? We did see a lot of candidates going on to other platforms to share their personalities, also a spotlight on their significant others. I think what is interesting is that at this point in the media landscape, we're moving from broadcasting to narrowcasting. You've got a whole slew of podcasters that appeal to slightly smaller and more narrow audiences, but then they have a lot of airtime for uh, people who come on their show to talk about their life values, really get to know the man behind the candidacy. And I think that that, in a way, provides a very intimate understanding of the person who's running for office. Now, having said that, though, you can't run away from the fact that mainstream media still offers you broad uh, appeal. You still need posters. You still need that physical handshaking, talking to people to be able to reach down to the men on the street. Mm. All right, we're in conversation with Ling Suling. She is the opinion editor for The Straits Times. Now, a lot of stuff happened in the campaign. What were some of the twists perhaps you noticed campaigning this time that might manifest further in future races? Some of the more interesting stuff that perhaps could become a bit of a trend. I think just taking a step back, ultimately what Singaporeans really want is that the race is a fair one from the outset. The parameters of the campaign remain within the bounds of what the Office of the Presidency can feasibly achieve. Now, first, the race was not a given, if you recall, Ryan. Mm -hmm. Back in July, when Taman came out, people said, 
this is Typhoon Taman. He's the nuclear option candidate. Who is going to run against someone like that, right? And it was not a given that we would even have a race. That is actually one of the key issues that I think will replicate itself in the next presidential election. Will we still have good candidates come forth? Or will the candidates predominantly come from the ruling party or someone backed by opposition members, a bet in their personal uh, capacity? Eligibility, I think, was a key issue here. Of course, we all saw when George go through his head in the ring, but he didn't qualify. There was a bit of a kerfuffle when he questioned the fairness of the Presidential Elections Committee's decision. And ultimately, eligibility was also an issue because Tan Kin Lian's social media posts raised some red flags and people asked whether that should have been a disqualifying condition, especially when the presidency is like on the basis of character. Mm, the PC did say, hey... This is for the electorate to decide. After those questions being raised about Tan Kin social media posts, is there a sense that electorate wants a bigger pool of candidates for future elections, maybe changing the benchmarks or the criteria to allow a bigger pool? That's really ironic because when they say that they look at Tan Kin Lian and they say, I want a bigger pool, actually they're saying two things. First, are they saying that I don't really want Tan Kin Lian? Should therefore the pool actually be tightened because mm. then the qualifying conditions and character should be looked at more closely. There must be some sort of a mechanism for people to say, this should disqualify you. And yet, on the other hand, people are saying, I want more people to step forward. Not just more people, but more qualified candidates who are able to take the role by the reins and show Singapore that we've got good people out there. I think that's what people want at the end of the day. The challenge is these two things pull in opposite direction. So do we want a system where perhaps it's a much smaller yard but high fences and therefore we have candidates who are super qualified but that means that the numbers might be limited? Or do we say, let's loosen it a little bit more, have more people come in, but perhaps then we might get candidates that might not be so quality? Yeah, I suppose uh, it's a question, how much do you trust market forces to pretty much figure things out? So that is a conversation for another day. Now, on the polling process, a couple of new elements this time around. We had the vote queue platform, which allows people to figure out how many people are in the queue before they head down. And also special polling stations set up in nursing homes to ease voting for less mobile seniors and so those who are bit bound a chance to exercise their democratic rights so it's quite I guess encouraging to see this happening a more inclusive way uh, more inclusive elections do you see this as a way to more accessible voting down the road? You know Ryan you're absolutely right this is all about how Singaporeans take our democratic right to vote very seriously and we've got to applaud the elections department to enable more people to vote with greater ease and convenience I think the key thing was really the expansion of voting centres this time, there was a lot of effort to try to reduce the voting time and the voter-to-polling station ratio. You recall in the last general election, there were long snaking queues, but also because there was COVID, the safe distancing, the hand sanitizing and mm. glove wearing was quite a trouble. Um, I think this time around, definitely voters were able to get in and out, except for a few kerfuffles when the system was down for a little bit. Seems all smooth. Yeah, I guess this was a pretty good one. So just to end on a lighter note, sitting. What was your most memorable moment from this PE? You know, right? I go back to what you said earlier, which is ultimately this is a win for multiculturalism, Singapore's brand of multicultural meritocracy. That moment when Mr. Taman came down the escalators and you saw a huge crowd of jubilant supporters yelling, Majula Singapura, was quite moving because ultimately Mr. Taman came through with a landslide victory. He's put the presidency in a good position to sail Singapore through some of the toughest times we'll see in the years ahead and it was quite a historic moment. A minority candidate fought and he won. Now, are we post-race? 
I'm not so sure, but he definitely is a mark of progress. Yeah, he really cut through a spectrum in terms of support drawing from all pockets of Singapore to get a 70.4% landslide victory in the latest elections. We've been speaking with Ling Suding. She is the opinion editor for The Straits Times, helping us unpack the latest, the highlights, as well as some of the more memorable moments coming up from the presidential elections. Suding, thank you for your time today. Thanks, Ryan. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.